Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our daily reading conference call on A Course in Miracles Original Edition. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles Original Edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse over the link on the top menu for online edition, you will see the link to read ACIMOE. On that same top menu, there is also a link to subscribe to an excellent daily email sent to you by the Course in Miracles Society, which contains both the workbook lesson and the text reading for the day in various formats. Uh, my name is Lemoyne Castle, and this call happens for and with you every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, from about 9.15 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Today we're continuing our reading in Chapter 29, The Awakening, with Section 9, Christ and Antichrist. And at the top of the hour, we'll pause to touch in with the lesson for the day, the first in the new section under the question, what is the last judgment? Today's lesson is, I judge all things as I would have them be. And that will be led again by Fran, as she does about every day. Okay, well, here we go. One of my favorite things. Lori, um, do you have one of your wonderful noetic openings for the call this morning? I do, Lamori. Um, I just, I, I want to say, I thought I had a really excellent one, and I was at the very last minute reappointed re, uh, uh, to this one. So... As an odd to pure spirit, there's this poem called A Just Dear One in the book Susceptible to Light by Shailen Harkin. It goes like this. We are always in deep and focused meditation and prayer practice. It is simply that our fixed attention happens often to be on things that don't serve us. And our prayer, the stories that run through our mind and conduct the energy of our heart, are often requesting undesirables. A just, dear one, all goodness lies waiting in the trapped treasure chest of you. And you're already doing everything you're meant to do with expertise. It's simply time to discover you have choice about where to point your tremendous power. Not just, dear one. A perfect nod to um, that shift that happens with the last judgment. Amen. Thank you, Lori. Thank, Thank you, Lori. Lori. That was really meaningful to me. That was amazing. Thank you. Oh, that was lovely, Lori. Thank you. Well, I'm thanking spirit today. <laughs> so, anyway, glad you liked it.
Yes, thank you, Lori. And uh, let me go through the list. Here I have with us in reading, I have Lori, Fran, Karen, and Jennifer. And with us in listening, I have Lana. Is there uh, anyone who's joined the call who would like to just say good morning or join the reading list? Good morning, it's Sandra. And I can read. Great, thanks, Sandra. Good morning, Lemoyne, Lori, everyone. Um, it's Judy, and I can read this morning. Thank you. All right, welcome, Judy. Thank you. All right, I uh, will get us rolling with uh, 29.9, Chapter 29, The Awakening, Section 9, Christ and Antichrist. <clears throat> what is an idol, do you think you know? For idols are unrecognized as such and never seen for what they really are. That is the only power they, which they have. Their purpose is obscure, and they are feared and worshipped both because you don't know what they are for and why they have been made. An idol is an image of your brother which you would value more than what he is. Repeat that. An idol is an image of your brother which you would value more than what he is. Idols are made that he may be replaced, no matter what their form. And it is this which never is perceived and recognized. Be it a body or a thing, a place, a situation, or a circumstance, an object owned or wanted, or a right demanded or achieved, it is the same. And Lori. Uh, chapter 29, The Awakening. Section 9, Christ and Antichrist. What is an idol? Do you think you know? For idols are unrecognized as such and never seen for what they really are. That is the only power which they have. Their purpose is obscure. And they are feared and worshipped both because you do not know what they are for and why they have been made. An idol is an image of your brother, which you would value more than what he is. Idols are made that he may be replaced, no matter what their form. And it is this which never is perceived and recognized be it a body or a thing, a place, a situation, or a circumstance, an object owned or wanted, or a right demanded or achieved. It is the same. Let not the form deceive you. Idols are but substitutes for your reality. Idols are but substitutes for your reality. In some way, you believe they will complete your little self and let you walk in safety in a world perceived as dangerous with forces massed against your confidence and peace of mind. 
they have the power to supply your lacks and have the value which you do not have. No one believes in idols who has not enslaved himself to littleness and loss and thus must seek beyond this little self for strength to raise his head and stand apart from all the misery the world reflects. This is the penalty for looking not within for certainty and quiet calm which liberates you from the world and lets you stand apart in quiet and in peace, unlimited. Thank you, Lori. And friends. 53. Let not their form deceive you. Idols are but substitutes for your reality. In some way, you believe they will complete your little self and let you walk in safety in a world perceived as dangerous, with forces massed against your confidence and peace of mind. They have the power to supply your lacks and add the value which you do not have. No one believes in idols who has not enslaved himself to littleness and loss, and thus must seek beyond his little self for strength to raise his head and stand apart from all the misery the world reflects. This is the penalty for looking not within for certainty and quiet calm which liberates you from the world and lets you stand apart in quiet and in peace, unlimited. 54. An idol is a false impression or a false belief, some form of antichrist which constitutes a gap between the Christ and what you see. An idol is a wish made tangible and given form and thus perceived as real and seen outside the mind. Yet it is still a thought and cannot leave the mind that is its source, nor is its form apart from the idea it represents. All forms of Antichrist oppose the Christ and fall before his face like a dark veil which seems to shut you off from him alone in darkness. Yet the light is there. A cloud does not put out the sun. No more a veil can banish what it seems to separate nor darken by one wit the light itself. Thank you, friend. And Karen. 54. An idol is a false impression or a false belief. Some form of antichrist which constitutes a gap between the Christ and what you see. An idol is a wish made tangible and given form and thus perceived as real and seen outside the mind. Yet it is still a thought and cannot leave the mind that is its source. Nor is its form apart from the idea it represents. All forms of Antichrist oppose the Christ and fall before his face like a dark veil which seems to shut you off from him alone in darkness. Yet the light is there. A cloud does not put out the sun. No more veil can banish what it seems to separate nor darken by one whit the light itself. 55. The world of idols is a veil across the face of Christ. 
because its purpose is to separate your brother from yourself. A dark and fearful purpose, yet a thought without the power to change one blade of grass from something living to a sign of death. Its form is nowhere, for its source abides within your mind, where God abideth not. Where is this place where what is everywhere has been excluded and been kept apart? What hand could be held up to block God's way? Whose voice could make demand he enter not? The quote, more than more than everything, unquote, is not a thing to make you tremble and to quail in fear. Christ's enemy is nowhere. He can take no forms in which he never will be, re- excuse me, he can take no form in which he ever will be real. Thank you, Karen. And Jennifer. This world of idols is a veil across the face of Christ because its purpose is to separate your brother from yourself. A dark and fearful purpose, yet a thought without the power to change one blade of grass from something living to a sign of death. Its form is nowhere, for its source abides within your mind. Where God abideth not. Where is this place? Where what is everywhere has been excluded and been kept apart? What hand could be held up to block God's way? Whose voice can make demand he enter not? The quote unquote more than ever unquote is not a thing to make you tremble and to quell fear. Christ's enemy is nowhere. He can take no form in which he ever will be real. 56. What is an idol? Nothing. It must be believed before it seems to come to life and given power that it may be feared. Its life and power are its believer's gift. And this is what the miracle restores to what has life and power worthy of the gift of heaven and eternal peace. The miracle does not restore the truth. The light the veil between has not put out. It merely lifts the veil and lets the truth shine unencumbered, being what it is. It does not need belief to be itself, for it has been created, so, so it is. An idol is established by belief, and when it is withdrawn, the ideal, quote-unquote, dies. Thank you, Jennifer. 
and beauty. Thank you. What is an idol? Nothing. It must be believed before it seems to come to life and given power that it may be feared. Its life and power are its believers. And this is what the miracle restores to what has life and power worthy of the gift of heaven and eternal peace. The miracle does not restore the truth. The light, the veil between has not put out. It merely lifts the veil and lets the truth shine unencumbered, being what it is. It does not need belief to be itself, for it has been created, and so it is. An idol is established by belief, and when it is withdrawn, the idol, quote, dies, unquote. This is the Antichrist. The strange idea, there is a power, past omnipotence, a place beyond the infinite, a time transcending the eternal, Here, the world of idols has been set by the idea this power and place and time are given form and shape the world where the impossible has happened. Here, the deathless come to die, the all-encompassing to suffer loss, the timeless to be made the slaves of time. Here does the changeless change, the peace of God, forever given to all living things, give way to chaos, and the Holy Son of God, as perfect and sinless, as loving as his Father, come to hate a little while, to suffer pain, and finally to die. Hoo-wee. Thank you. Thank you, Judy and Sandra. Fifty-seven. This is the Antichrist, the strange idea. There is a power past omnipotence, a place beyond the infinite, a time transcending the, the eternal. Here the world of idols has been set by the idea this power and place and time are given form and shape, the world where the impossible has happened. Here the deathless come to die, and all-encompassing to suffer loss, the timeless to be made the slaves of time. Here does the changeless change, the peace of God forever given to all living things, gives way to chaos, And the Son of God, as perfect, sinless, and as loving as his Father, come to hate a little while, to suffer pain, and finally die. 58. Where is an idol? Nowhere. Can there be a gap in what is infinite 
a place where time can interrupt eternity, a place of darkness set where all is light, a dismal alcove separated off from what is endless, has no place to be, an idol is beyond where God has set all things forever and has left no room for anything to be except his will. Nothing and nowhere must an idol be while God is everything and everywhere. Thank you, Sandra. And is there a new reader for 58 and 59? Um, I can try to read uh Moine. Thank you. All right, please do. 58. Where is an idol? Nowhere. Can there be a gap in what is infinite, a place where time can interrupt eternity, a place of darkness set where all is light, a dismal alcove, alcove separated off from what is endless, has no place to be? An idol is beyond where God has set all things forever and has left no room for anything to be except his will. Nothing and nowhere must an idol be, while God is everything and everywhere. 59. What purpose has an idol then? What is it for? This is the only question which has many answers, each depending on the one of whom the question has been asked. The world believes in idols. No one comes unless he worships them and still attempts to seek for one that yet might offer him a gift reality does not contain. Each worshiper of idols harbors hope. His special deities will give him more than other men possess. It must be more. It does not really matter more of what, more beauty, more intelligence, more wealth, or even more affliction and more pain, but more of something is an idol for. And when one fails, another takes its place with hope of finding more of something else. Be not deceived by forms the something takes. An idol is a means for getting more. And it is this that is against God's will. Thank you, Lana. And is there another new reader for 59 and 60? Another new reader? Okay, back to you, Lori. 
Okay, thanks, Lemoyne. What purpose has an idol then? What is it for? This is the only question which has many answers, each depending on the one of whom the question has been asked. This world believes in idols. No one comes unless he worships them and attempts to seek for one that yet might offer him a gift reality does not contain. Each worshiper of idols harbors hope. His special deities will give him more than other men possess. It must be more. It does not really matter more of what. More beauty, more intelligence, more wealth, or even more affliction and more pain. But more of something is an idol for. And when one fails, another takes its place with hope of finding more of something else. Be not deceived by forms the so-called something takes. An idol is a means for getting more. And it is this that is against God's will. God has not many sons, but one, but only one. Who can have more and who can be given less? In heaven would the Son of God but laugh if idols could intrude upon his peace. It is for him the Holy Spirit speaks and tells you idols have no purpose here. For more than heaven can you never have. If heaven is within, why would you seek for idols which would make of heaven less to give you more than God bestowed upon your brother and on you as one with him? God gave you all there is. And to be sure you could not lose it. Did he give also the same to every living thing as well? And thus is every living thing a part of you, as of himself. No idol can establish you as more than God, but you could never be content with being less. Mm, amen. Amen, and thank you, Lori. Uh, 60. God has not many sons, but only one. Who can have more, and who be given less? In heaven would the Son of God but laugh if idols could intrude upon his peace. It is for him the Holy Spirit speaks and tells you idols have no purpose here. For more than heaven can you never have. If heaven is within... Why would you seek for idols which would make of heaven less to give you more than God bestowed upon your brother and on you as one with him? God gave you all there is. And to be sure you could not lose it, did he also give the same to every living thing as well? And thus is every living thing a part of you, as of himself. No idol can establish you as more than God but you will never be content with being less. Thank you, friend. And, uh, well, I think in terms of a summary, I, it 
think of this last paragraph. Is there anyone who would like to read the 60 again? This is Sandra, I can. Please do. God has not many sons, but only one. Who can have more, and who can be given less? In heaven, would the Son of God but laugh if idols could intrude upon his peace? It is for him the Holy Spirit speaks and tells you idols have no purpose here. For more than heaven can you never have. If heaven is within, why would you seek for idols which would make of heaven less? to give you more than God bestowed upon your brother and on you as one with him. God gave you all there is, and to be sure you could not lose it, did he also give the same to every living thing as well. And thus is every living thing a part of you, as of himself. No idol can establish you as more than God, but you will never be content with being less. Thank you, Sandra. We let God define who we are and who our brothers and sisters are. Amen to that. Lamoine, are you muted? Oh. Yeah, actually, I was muted. Um, go ahead, uh, Fran or, or Sandra. Did you tell me to go ahead? Well, and yeah, unless you were just asking about <laughs> if I was on mute. No, someone else did. Uh I yeah, think you were on first. mute, though. Okay. Uh, hi, everybody. We are in the second part of the workbook, and the theme that we're on is what is the last judgment? This is our first day on this, and we are on Lesson 311. I judge all things as I would have them be. So I shall read some from what is the last judgment, and then we'll go over to our lesson and do our five-minute meditation. Okay, what is the last judgment? Christ's second coming gives the Son of God the gift to hear the voice for God proclaim that what is false is false and what is true has never changed. And this the judgment is in which perception ends. At first you see a world which has accepted this as true. 
projected from a new corrected mind. And with this holy sight, perception gives a silent blessing and then disappears. Its goal accomplished and its mission done. This is God's final judgment. Quote, You are still my holy son, forever innocent, forever loving, and forever loved, as limitless as your creator and completely changeless and forever pure. Therefore, awaken and return to me. I am your father and you are my son. Unquote. So we'll go over to our lesson now. Lesson 311. I judge all things as I would have them be. Judgment was made to be a weapon used against the truth. It separates what it is being used against and sets it off as if it were a thing apart. And then it makes of it what you would have it be. It judges what it cannot understand because it cannot see totality and therefore judges falsely. Let us not use it today, but make a gift of it to him who has a different use for it. He will relieve you of the agony of all the judgments you have made against yourself and reestablish peace of mind by giving you God's judgment of his son. Father, we wait with open mind today to hear your judgment of the son you love. We do not know him, and we cannot judge. And so we let your love decide what he whom you created as your son must be. Lesson 311, I judge all things as I would have them be. Five minutes.
Lesson 311, I judge all things as I would have them be. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friend. Amen. Thank you, friend. Yes, thank you, friend. Oh, thank you, guys. I love the way he tells us that we, he will relieve you of the agony of all the judgments you have made against yourself and reestablish peace of mind by giving you God's judgment of his son. Wow. I'm up for that. That sounds great. <laughs> I'm complete. And it is when you drop the idol. Ditto that. Ditto, ditto that. Hi, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm done. Go ahead. I thought I heard Ida. Was there someone else I was interrupting? Okay. I just love this. Um, you know, um, I really, when I read it, um, really recognized that all judgment was of Judy's split mind, um, thinking she was a separate self. What I've learned from the Course is that there is no judgment in God, that God is love and he sees, love sees only the truth, love sees only itself in everything as it spoke of in the text reading today. There's no separation. There's no in-between. There's no gap, no place where this is not. Um, the awareness of that and, and the peace and the joy, limitless, um, is an eternal holy dwelling place in my mind that I have to be still and be one with in order to familiarize myself with it and know it, experiencingly knowing it, um, that there's no perception whatsoever in it, there's no judgment whatsoever in it, um, that it sees everything as itself. And I've, I've come to, or that's come to me, in um, letting go of um, thoughts, of, of things, outside of myself is necessary for my peace. Thoughts of things outside of myself is necessary for my happiness. Knowing that I'm happiness itself, non-contingent on anything, and peace non-contingent on anything. That that's my original state of beingness. But um, I just want to say... Um, I'm, I'm making a, a commitment to, to understanding that that um, there are two ways for Judy to see through the body's eyes, old ways um, and patterns of thought that come from the source of the split mind, excuse me, which it speaks of that ideas do not leave their source. So... I have to leave all judgment behind and to judge any part of the totality of what I'm 
conscious of or aware of, and that includes Judy's body pain, which has really been um, a focus of my attention. How am I attending to my perception of myself as being in a body? So this is really wonderful to me and um, really opening my mind and heart um, to recognizing how I have had fear that this pain is never going to end. I'm really, I've, I'm really felt that. Like, will this pain ever frickin' end? It's with me so much and all the time. <laughs> and the end of pain and suffering is God's will for me. So in the reading of um, the final judgment where it says, the fear of love, be not afraid of love, be not afraid of the grace of God, and to stand in that awareness of that is going to end all pain. It's going to end all suffering. And I just want to, I want to say that out loud. I want to hear myself say it. I want to hear everyone say it and rejoice in the gladness that this is the truth of who we are, that we need not suffer, we need not experience pain if we stand in the truth of who we are. And that is the discipline that we've been practicing through all these lessons, through all these days, through all these holy moments, that the means of holy instance, quiet stillness, the Christ in me is very still, the awareness of Christ in me is stillness itself, is peace itself, and, and carrying that with me all through the day, and dismissing, watching those, I'm this body, I'm this pain, and saying, no, I'm not, I don't believe it, I don't want it anymore, go away. <laughs> I'm just, I'm really down with this today, and um, I'm going to see how it works. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really a, a practice of disciplining my mind because my mind, united with my capital source, the capital I am in me, is incapable of suffering, is incapable of feeling, experiencing pain. And this I know is the truth because I've had glimpses of it. So, Erigo, here I go. Thank you so much for being here, and I support you, and I know you support me in courage and in love. Amen. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Judy. You bet we, we support you. Absolutely. Thank you, Judy. Thanks, Jude. This is Sandra, and I, you know, you're such an inspiration to me, uh, Jude. And um, I know this morning when I had mentioned my will determines my perception, and um, I felt that you you had said something about eliminating all perception, which is absolutely the goal, <laughs> eliminating all judgment and all perception, but. You just exhibited the perfect example of your will determining <laughs> your perception because I have to will myself to believe and define 
the world, myself, and my brothers and sisters the way God does. Because I was programmed differently. I was programmed to judge it. And as soon as I started judging, I started perceiving what was right and what was wrong. And I'd like to eliminate all perception. <laughs> so, But until that's all gone, it's going to take my will, my willingness to you know, correct myself, that discipline of correcting myself when I go back into judgment. So I so appreciate you and I appreciated your share and you are absolutely an inspiration to me. I'm complete. That was great. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. I agree. I may just say... It's giving up Jude's will and being in accord with God's will for me, which has all the power of heaven and the kingdom of God behind it. And this is what really fortifies me. (laughs) And this is where my light and my strength come from. So it's really not about Judy at all. It's really giving up what Judy thinks. And because Judy thinks his pain is going to last forever. And I want to let that go. Amen. But thank you. It was a nice thing to say. Amen. I'm complete. Thanks, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Lori. And um, I've heard this observation made before, and uh, I think most recently from Lana, that as the years go by, uh, what can be gleaned from these sections seems to change, not because the words on the page change at all, but because the mind that reads them changes isn't that just really cool you know and 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 this business of idol is is pretty reflective of that you know the first time I read that uh, because of my teaching uh, as a youngster and 
you know what I believed of religion and what have you. Uh, because of my teaching, I, I uh, felt like idol is like the worst thing ever. And uh, and my goodness sakes, if if um, if I if I hold something as more valuable than God in my mind, uh, I am a very bad person. <laughs> you know, and, and this is um, this is the same problem that is uh, laid upon the business of the Last Judgment. You know, because of religious teaching, the Last Judgment, of course, is that thing that God will do when he decides who's worthy of condemnation. And so it's invested with fear in the same way a discussion about idols is. Um, But backing away from that idea a little bit, uh, he's offering me the the same space you might say, in this discussion of what's an idol. What is it, he asks. Where is it, he asks. What purpose does it have, he asks. And answers each of those questions. And if I follow that logic with my own mind, what is it, what purpose does it have, in the sense that um, I'm legitimately asking my mind, legitimately asking my thoughts, my beliefs, my ideas. I'm legitimately asking, um, what have I set within my mind that functions like this? Um, I arrive at, at the logical conclusion that Uh, The ego body illusion is the idol. And when I invest the ego body illusion with the purpose, I uh, suffer an outcome that that I don't really like. A substitute for my reality. What is it? He says in that first paragraph, 53. What is what is an idol but a substitute for my own reality and myself? And who invests it with belief and power? Who who does that? Well, my mind. It's the penalty for not looking within. There there's the flip right there. The flip between the last judgment being God's final condemnation or the truth that God would like me to know within my own mind. And if um, I'm placing my beliefs where truth is, I am investing uh, my power into an idol. It, um, It takes me away from myself Instead of a bad thing worthy of condemnation, he wants me to see that I'm doing this to myself. And it's this thing I would undo, you see. And, um, and, and that belief 
um, is so pervasive in this collective dream we share. You can see it everywhere. More of anything. It doesn't matter more of what. In one person's uh, fantasy, it's more uh, personality power. In another person's fantasy, it's more land. In another person's fantasy, it's more uh, money. It's more just more of anything. You can see it everywhere. Every every news story you look at, every every political position, um, you can see it's the same struggle. More, just more, just more more of anything. It doesn't matter more of what. And it's as individual as, as the personal values, the people who hold those ideas. This is a collective dream. Um, this world, he refers to it as this world. Um, I want to reflect for a minute on the last judgment about what it means to me when he says perception disappears because it's reflected in this reading as well this more of anything um, when I understood that perception is interpretation and I believe that's what he'd like me to understand because the very first uh, sets of lessons tell me that I have given everything I see all the meaning that it has for me um, and I follow those first 20 lessons I come to understand that I've made this world I see out of my mistaken meanings and especially my mistaken understanding about uh, vengeance and attack and then I project this world I see onto everything and I don't do that alone it's not a it's not a solitary dream I'm not alone and experience the effects of my thoughts he says <laughs> you know we we um, we're all affected in this way so that we uh, come to separate everything out and draw interpretations based on our personal meanings and values and what's worthy of condemnation because it doesn't jive with our personal values so this business of idol and Antichrist is not so much an idea of there's something out there that's bound to defeat us rather there's an idea in the collective mind of God's son that there can be anything other than God going on here and the extent to which we share that dream is the extent to which we separate ourselves from our Christ identity it's not worthy of condemnation it's worthy of truth and truth will correct all errors in my mind and so the last judgment is not God's meeting out of punishment for what's worthy of condemnation it's God's correction for how that error has colored everything that error uh, of what's true and what's illusion has has darkened my mind has darkened the mind of my brothers has darkened the mind of this collective dream we think we share and the only correction is the heaven within 
or the truth or accepting atonement for myself which is the same as the gift of God's correction the gift of God's correction and now I understand there's a different alternative with the gift of God's correction there's an alternative to the dreams I made and the dreams we share that alternative is simply love wholeness and holiness <clears throat> what if this world shared a dream of holiness would it be this world would it be this collective dream or would it be the heaven within and this is what he'd like me to experience of him in the miracle the restoration of the truth that we share the equality of heaven the disappearance of specialness the disappearance of the idea of more the disappearance of any need to interpret anything and to me that's what he means by disappearance of perception the need for me to decide what anything is my father would like to relieve me of that burden I didn't realize what a burden it was um, but in the manual for teachers he describes the weight of that burden so perfectly in, in this section how is judgment released it's worth a read um, because the way it works in this collective dream is each ego body identity looks upon itself judges itself unworthy takes all that unworthiness and projects it on the world and it forms the collective dream what if what if that judgment were lifted from my mind and in place of it I accepted God's truth the last judgment the last judgment I need ever make on myself holy am I complete and innocent and whole one with my creator and one with all creation what if I accepted that in its place I would never need to make another interpretation I'd never need to make another judgment I wouldn't have a need to interpret anything and so life as as he asked me to live it is that series of seeming events that happen in the now where I am released of every judgment I ever made upon myself and I do that the way I do that is by uh, having occasion to experience something uncomfortable <laughs> something I don't know how to respond to something I don't understand and those events that I don't understand represent to me little bits of error little tiny bits of bad code if you will that that I have in my thought system little bits of bad code little bits of misunderstanding 
not worthy of judgment, only worthy of correction, only worthy of release. Here's another one. Here's another one. I was talking to Kathy last night about something I didn't understand, and she said to me, that sounds like an occasion where you want to say, I don't know. <laughs> Thank God for the way she reflects me back to me sometimes. And this is, this is uh, the new life uh, of resurrection, you see, where I'm relieved of the burden of all the errors I had on myself that I projected and as I'm relieved of all these errors my subconscious is emptied of my mistakes pretty soon the veil is lifted what was the veil except all my mistaken judgments that I placed upon myself am I complete with that no way no way no how and I know I'm not because I have a niece <laughs> that reminds me of, of little bits of bad code that I have in myself, the little bits of bad code that I thought, oh man, I would, I would never do that. Well, I would. I would. I would in the collective dream we share. I did that. I share that error. And when I'm released from that judgment, I'm released from that bad code in my own mind. And now I don't need to project that. Well, then along comes something else. And here's, here's life, <laughs> you know, presenting me with more opportunities to release little bits of mistaken thought. He calls that forgiveness. I let forgiveness light my mind. It's not anything I do. It's simply the result of being willing to look at my judgments. And the last judgment, the last judgment, the fine, the one truth, you know, and in my case, the one truth came to me early um, and formed the, the standard bearer for against this I will judge this and realize I'm mistaken. Against this I'll look at this and realize I'm mistaken. Against this holy instant I will take this experience and set it and realize, oh, I'm mistaken and as my mistakes are corrected um, love lights my way more and more um, not because it was ever uh, missing or lacking in me but because I had kept it behind my fear and it's only fear uh, that I see reflected in this bad code I fear that I might make this error I fear that um, I've had that bad thought I fear um, these things that life shows me and as the fears relieved the judgments relieved uh, truth lights my mind and um, and now I can understand what he means when he says what is an ego it lives on the power I give it. It believes it, it exists to the extent that I listen to it. Um, it has no purpose, really, uh, except to um, darken my mind. And where is it? Where, have you ever looked for the ego? I mean, can you find it? Can you lay hands on it? Can you see it? Um, it lives on what I give it and when I stop giving it my judgments and beliefs 
um, it stops having so much influence on the way life presents itself to me. And I find that instead of interpretations, uh, I get to see more and more truth. So in that way, uh, that is the way I believe perception disappears. Uh, I, I no longer call upon it because I don't need it as much. And um, and in its place, I find what God put there in the first place was just um, love. And, um, and I'm no longer afraid of the last judgment at all because he's leading me more and more uh, thoroughly to the last judgment I'll ever make upon myself. And that's the correction of my mind's errors. And I'm complete. Thank you so much, Lori. That was great. Thank you. So glad for you. I'm so glad to hear you. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Lori. That was a journey. Thanks. I liked it. Helpful. Thank you, Lori. You're just, I so needed to hear that again, Lori. You've tried to let me hear it before, (laughs) but I'm hearing it more clearly each time I hear it again, and this is why we come together. Because for me to judge, pain in the body is the same as judging no pain in the body. I'm judging the body. And it doesn't matter if I judge it good or bad. I'm still judging it. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that this morning. Amen. Yeah, that seems to be seems to be the hardest one. I'm complete. Thanks. Good morning, it's Karen. I was so excited when I read this um section this morning. And I just felt like I love the course so much. The answer to everything. Um First, I just want to think about the lesson for a second. Judgments. It says in the text reading that judgments can be thought, or they are thoughts. They're thoughts made into forms. But um, I meant to say idols. Excuse me. Idols uh, can be thoughts. And when we did that meditation with Reverend Pam this morning on the lesson, and there was sharing afterwards, it felt like, oh, a judgment isn't idle. A judgment separates me from my brother. A judgment is about reflect something in the outer world. You know, it's not about the inner world where I find heaven and I find peace and I find unity and love and light. It's something to do with the outer world. Those are my judgments. So judgments are idols too. And um, for myself, I'm just, repeating what I got this morning because it strengthens what I got. And I know it's been said already, but um, the final judgment is, or the last judgment, the final judgment, is when we step into 
a place where there's just no more vacillating back and forth between the falsehood and the truth. And um, all these bits of falsehood, these things that uh, separate me from my brother, um, have to be given up and forgiven. And that's, of course, it's been teaching. Hold on one second. I've got to walk past people. Um, anyway, so I feel like um, sometimes those judgments and the energies that need to be forgiven and released, the things that still separate me and obstruct the truth are emotional. You know, less about what my mental body is telling me, but more about what's stored inside my my emotional body. And um, so my daughter was saying, like, she had a day with her new boyfriend, and she was so irritated. And we went down looking at it a little, and it was more like the, the stress of the week before. It was the the sort of purging of her marriage. <laughs> It had more meaning than what was superficially aware to, you know, apparent. But in order to find that truth, it, you have to go within. It has to be released on the inner, the heaven plane. You go into the heaven plane and we can, we can feel the truth of it. What I loved in the lesson from the reading this morning is it said, um, be quiet, quiet your judgments, go into the stillness. And, and step back from all your judgments. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the book in front of me. But I went into that place. And I, and I realized my ego mind was still like, you know, had its coffee and wanted to think thoughts and be busy. And it wanted to um, have a commentary going about the, the reading. So even to go into the place of emptiness and stillness was challenging. But... Um, it's possible to do when you practice it a lot. You get better and better at it. And um, it said, idols have power. In the text reading, it said, idols have power because they're unrecognized. And that, going back to the, the little process I was experiencing in meditation, was when I recognized that my ego mind is going, you know, I want to I want to talk about the the... the the text or the lesson I want to, I want to go, you know, into labeling things and discussing things instead of being in stillness. Because if we can harness that power, that presence in stillness, and then go back into the world without judgment in our mind, without the ego's commentary in our minds, if we can be with a person in that presence, then they can have those miracles. And what is a miracle? It said in the text, it said a miracle isn't, isn't restoring the truth because the truth never was absent. The truth was never gone. It's just like the awareness of love's presence. We have a block to our awareness of truth. We have a block to the awareness of the real world. So by recognizing our idols we can choose. If we have a judgment, by recognizing a judgment, we can choose again. By recognizing the thoughts that we're giving our power to, the beliefs that we're endorsing in the physical world that, that give it form, 
by, by becoming aware of all of that, we can recognize it and choose against it and offer it up. And eventually, when all those little bits of blocks and obstructions and falsehood are purified, we'll be able to step across that line into the Christ self forever and not come back and forth into judgment. Um, I just, I just love the course. I love the course. It's just, it makes meaning of this crazy world that we're in. And uh, I just got slammed between between the text reading and this call. Um, this call, like just getting back on after the lesson. I got slammed because somebody was defending, um, you know, Israel bombing Palestine, you know, and and I sort of said I wish it would stop, and I got bombarded by their reaction, you know. And I think in a non-judgment way, I could have just sat back and been in stillness and known better, you know, just emanating love instead of instead of standing against it. Anyway, thank you so much for letting me share. I'm complete. Oh, I loved your clarity, Karen, and uh, and your care with the words. Thank you very much. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Good morning, Islana. Um, Karen, you just touched on a couple of things that have been on my mind lately. <laughs> and um, so thank you for that. Uh, one was, you know, this, um, the miracle, you know, the miracle and healing and heal and miracles are shared between brothers and um, and and Judy, I so relate to what you experience as pain. And um, this morning, after my meditation, uh, I was thinking about a time, and I wrote about it this morning a little bit, um, about a time when I was in such excruciating pain. Oh my goodness. Um, and it was the thing about physical pain is, is not that emotional pain isn't captivating, but um, physical pain is so captivating. You know, it just holds you. And it seems like this one time I, it was just cemented to my mind and I could not let go of the idea of pain long enough to be healed. I tried all my... <laughs> my box of everything that was in my box of um, healing, um, my grab bag, you know, meditation, rosary, mantras, <clears throat> reading, painting, you know, doing anything that um, might uh, just for a moment um, dislodge my mind from being um, imprisoned by the pain. And, um, and and one in this lasted for several days. And um, this one evening I got a call from a friend and um, we were just talking and she told me, and, I, and you know, this was a few years ago and I don't even remember what the story was about, but she told, she was sharing this lovely story about um, healing. I think it was with her daughter or her son or their marriage and everything. And 
and as she was sharing it, I was just um, so enthralled with it, and I and I felt um, the love that occurred that between these people that had a grievance and it was healed and so much love was was um, expressed that I was just caught up in it, like caught up in the clouds with it. And um, after the call ended, you know, and I hung up, I just, I was, I was getting ready to just, no, I was trying to notice my pain, you know, and it was gone. It was gone. I mean, the pain was literally gone. And it it just validated again the truth that uh, miracles are shared between brothers or sisters in this case. It was um it was just so miraculous and and over the years I've had what I refer to as healing partners. I, I think I shared once about Sam. Sam was someone I met on Facebook. I don't even know if he was a Course in Miracles. But he, he was a very spiritual person, but um, not specific to A Course in Miracles. And he had the same thing I did, had um, spinal stenosis, which is a nerve pain, which radiates down your legs and up your back. And it's no fun, that's for sure. So we were talking, you know, just chatting online once and, and kind of comparing notes <laughs> about our pain. And um, and then we started to talk on the phone. We became very good friends, and um, I think he lived out west somewhere. But anyhow, we decided um, to be healing partners because from his spiritual path, you know, he knew too that belief that um, when we make something real in our mind, um, it becomes an idol. And, and you might think, well, idols are something I treasure more than God. How could I treasure pain more than God? But I'll, I'll tell you, idols, um, for me, the, they just represent anything that captivates my attention more than God. And if pain and pain can do that, you know, I can't, I want, it's not that I don't want to think about that. It's just that I can't because pain has just made me its prisoner, <laughs> you know. It's just kidnapped me, kidnapped my mind. And so uh, Sam and, and I, whenever we had um, episodes of this spinal pain, um, we decided to call one another and and um, just be a healing partner for the other. And and we did this for a few years, you know, and, and sometimes, um, you know, I would read, I would read to him or just chat or tell him stories. Um, and it would do exactly like my friend um, did for me. Um, it would help release my mind from being a prisoner of the pain just for a few moments. That's all it takes. That's all it takes for the light of God to shine in, that healing light. When it's like Jesus says in the earth text somewhere, the only thing to do with a desert is to leave. And it's so true. Once I leave 
my mind, my my thoughts and my beliefs and my um, attraction and my captivation of the pain. It doesn't matter what does it. What matters is that I've left it for a few moments so that there's some movement. There's some movement in my mind that opens up a space for God's light to shine in and heal. And, um, you know, sometimes I would read Joel Goldsmith or Ernest Holmes or even from the Course, and he would do the same thing for me. And um, I can't tell you how miraculous it was. And Sam passed away a few years ago. And but he was such a gift to me. Oh my God! So and the other thing is very quickly, um, Karen, that you touched on was this all this drama that's going on now in the war that's going on. And um, you know, initially when it first happened, um, on I think it was October seventh when Hamas attacked. Um, and brutal, you know, just brutally um, killed and kidnapped babies and, and everything. I, I have to admit that, you know, I was really triggered by that. And uh, the first thing I noticed is that, oh, this doesn't feel good at all. This just doesn't feel good to have this, to have these emotions, these negative emotions about anybody in my mind or in my heart. And um, after meditation, you know, and um, I recognized that the enemy <laughs> was was not a nation or any nationality, even a terrorist group. You know, that was not the enemy. The enemy was hate, and that was fueled by fear. And um, recognize that, recognizing that, I saw the innocence of the people. You know, and I thought of every one of these people, regardless of or who they were or what their theology was or religion or beliefs or country or nationality. All of these people had families that, and they, they were loving. They loved their children. They loved their families. Their families loved them. And, um, and I saw their innocence and, and, how they were just caught up in this mess and none of them really wanted it. You know, I could just see that none of them. But um, when you have all these millions of people projecting fear onto the world, you know, it's, it, it manifests in lots of ways and one of those ways is hate. And so um, my meditation and my prayers went right to the source, the mind that was seeing hate in the world, manifesting and taking responsibility for what I was seeing. And um, and this collective consciousness, you know, it's evolving, you know, it's, it's an evo- we're experiencing like an evolution of consciousness. And, and in the beginning a thousand years, years ago, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked the earth, the collective consciousness 
didn't even know that there was a loving God. They were conditioned to think of a vengeful God. So Jesus' main purpose for coming was to introduce the idea to humanity that God was a loving God. And over time, over these 2,000 years, consciousness has been evolving to the point where it's seeing contrast. It's seeing, it knows that there's two ways to see the world and to experience life. One is through fear and one is through hate. And everyone, every individual fragment of, of the Son of God, of the one mind, is seeing this contrast. And that's what I believe we're seeing now. We're seeing people, um, we're seeing the world recognizing the contrast between love and fear, peace and conflict, and they're making choices, and it's coming to a boil, you know, and we all know that love will prevail in the end, you know, love will win out, but this, um, but it's really messy and hurtful and horrible to watch, you know, Sometimes healing looks like that, <laughs> but I can feel comforted knowing that um, this all is over. You know, we're just, I'm just looking back on, we're all just looking back on this evolution of consciousness and our part and the part that we played in it all. And um, I could return to love. You know, I could choose love at any moment of any time, any moment of any day, of any hour, I could always choose love. And, um, and that brought me peace, you know. And so in choosing, doing what brings me peace, God Jesus reminds me that that's almost every day, do what brings you peace. And um, so I, I just wanted to share a little bit about that because um, it was comforting to to not judge my brothers, but to recognize that this um, universal consciousness is evolving and um, and it's playing out before me. Um, and I'm remembering that I always have a choice and one will keep me in pain, whether it's physical or emotional, and the other will bring me peace. So... Um, it's always that choice, isn't it? Um, it's always our choice, what we want to engage in, which, what we want to captivate our minds. And um, so anyway, I'm complete. Thank you for listening. Boy, that was a real gift from Spirit, oh, Lana. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Lana. Thank you. You were warbly. I couldn't hear what you said. Oh, I'm sorry. She would have interrupted me, Judy. No, Lana, I heard you perfectly, and thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, good. Someone else was speaking, and they were warbly, so I couldn't hear what they were saying. Oh, I see.
so glad, so glad, um, just so glad for this call, for God and the Course and, you know, this learning um, not to seek outside of ourselves and to give power of anything outside of my mind, including my body, um, this image I've made of myself and, and my state, mistaken self, sense of self-appraisal, <laughs> which is something straight out of the text. I love that line. I'm, I'm mistaken in my sense of my own self-appraisal. And the lesson today speaks of that, that I don't know what I am. What I am, what I capital am, is what um, cannot be perceived. It can't, it, it's not something that I can see, you know, or grasp, or define, or put, put words about, you know, it's, it's, and that's why it's called unknowable. Of course, we all know when we, who we are when we say, I am, <laughs> I am, I merely am, um, but everything we add after that, I am, is part of the story, and, um, but I'm really fascinated and I, I don't know if, um, Lori, you, you um, Im- implied it, I think, to some extent in your share about fear and how we invest things like my body. I've invested it with fear, the fear that the pain's never going to go away. Okay, that's making an idol of, out of it. Now... Um, to replace that, not replace it, but let it go, give it to capital Holy Spirit in me, myself, my true self, say, you know, I don't believe this. I'm going to keep an open mind about this and restore me to the truth of who I really am. Capital really I am. So... um, this is going to be my practice all through the day. I'm not going to judge who I think I am, Judy in a body, and her pain, and and keep saying I don't I don't believe this because I know God's will for me is is perfect happiness. His perfect happiness for me includes me not suffering in any form. So. Um, just standing in that holy ground, that holy dwelling place, and letting him do it. Now, um, this Lori talking about um, interpretation of it, um, it's a spin, a little bit of a spin to it, but um, I don't need to get into all that analysis paralysis stuff. All I need to do is simply notice an awareness of pain and say, I don't believe this is God's will for me. And I don't know that um, healing necessarily happens at the level of form, but that doesn't mean that I'm not healed. My mind is healed of, of the belief, false belief that I'm separate from God. So I think that's where I'm going with this judging the goodness or the badness of the dream, what I like or dislike in the dream, whether I'd I, I, I prefer I wasn't in pain, you know, 
prefer I was pain-free is simply a judgment of the dream, and it's something that I need to, to step back from, too. That um, we've read in the text recently this, you know, my preferences have nothing to do with reality, and um, it's not about controlling your outcomes in the dream. Fixing it, changing it, it is what it is. Merely accepting it as the curriculum, which is the lessons I need to learn today are to restore, restore my mind to oneness in unity and peace and grace and the awareness of love's presence. Okie dokie. I'm going to sit down and be quiet with that for a while. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Judy. You know, in the manual for teachers, he, he brings it back home to me when he says, what you use the body for, it will become t- for you. What you use it for, it will become for you. And when I start to understand that bodily awareness, <laughs> as I've invested it with, you know, um, I consider it something that gets me around. I'd like to travel with it. I'd like to um, go up and see my sisters with it. I'd like to, to do stuff with it, you know. And all my life, it's served me pretty well to do stuff for or with. But when it comes right down to it, in the middle of screaming pain, and I get my share of it, because um, I have spinal stenosis too, <laughs> and... Um, and, and in the midst of that, if I can get to the place where, and I have to, I do this literally in my mind. You hear me say it out loud. I say it to my mind. Wait now, wait now, wait now. I have to refocus. And if I can move to a place of this is not loss, but blessing, and that sounds insane. It really does sound insane. Um, but if I get to the place where I can consider this an opportunity to either bless or be blessed, I've flipped it in my mind in terms of its significance. And if I can flip it in terms of significance, that is to say what it means to me, not loss, not fear, not interminable pain, this is going to be my life forever, <laughs> you know, I have to flip it and get out of that place. And the quickest way I can do that is to consider, with this, I will find a blessing. It'll either be a blessing for me or a blessing for someone else. And now I've given it a purpose. I've got a focus. And it's no longer to run from, because this is what pain does. It contracts, makes me small, makes me hard, and causes me to run. I don't know where to run from it. You know, because you really can't. It's such a limit. But um, I can get away from that place where I want to run and meet it with something greater. And if I can meet it with something greater, I'm released. And uh, I'm released from that um, resistance to, you know, the resistance that causes me to contract. And even physiologically, well, pain is magnified by resistance. So um, that relaxation in my mind somehow goes through my body, uh, 
to where I'm not as hard and by being not as hard uh, it seems like I experience less pain but more than that I've got an anchor now my mind is anchored to a better higher purpose and I can remember oh yeah what you use the body for it will become for you and um, now my mind is doing something different with it and uh, for me that's an escape uh, when I when I need it desperately so I'm complete well, that was great thank you Laurie yeah I wrote that down thank you Laurie thank you, you so much Laurie need to hear it again and again um, this is this is new this is new for me and um, it needs to be practiced um, what use what I use the body for um, you know that 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 um, flipping my mind to think of it as a blessing to me or to someone else makes my body um, not only of use, but the Course in, in Love speaks of it as a service. I'm, how is this a service to me? How can I, how can I love myself more, or use it to, to love someone else? Because it's like um, Lana, you were sharing about having a healing partner. In this world, miracles are 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 expressions of love of corrections for what needs healing right so if 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 um like i was experiencing pain if something i really hated and i wanted to get rid of it i didn't want it to be happening i was really in opposition to it it's disturbing my peace <laughs> i was a wreck in in that kind of mindset and peace peace that opposes nothing the peace that is of God is where I have to come from in order to have that attitude of gratitude of being a blessing the recognition that um, makes my mind open to it opens my mind to it so um, this is just just so wonderful to me and I want to thank Lemoyne I know you're out there, but you always say every morning when you open, this is um, a call with with us, with you and for you. Or you use that with and for, which is how miracles work with and for us as we live in separate by state of separation in in an imaginary world. So um, <laughs> I'm loving you guys. Love. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. Thanks, Judy. Good morning. This is Jennifer. Um, this reading this morning, uh, by the way, am I coming in wobbly? No, very good. Okay, good. <laughs> it's been a challenge trying to say hello this morning. Okay. 
Um, so this is really one, what, like Karen said, and everybody, um, this read is very direct. And um, idols, I've noticed myself um, drop one idol and replace uh, in my unconscious state, uh, reaching for another. And peace of mind is when I slow down and, and observe myself not being settled. And I have, I came uh, like all of us, but I, you know, wanting more, wanting more of this, that, and the other. And I guess where everything halts and goes back to the inside, look, you know, for me is just being willing to observe not being comfortable in any given moment is a sign of a belief that supports some form of an idol, whether it be, in my case, uh, food, uh, men, uh, shopping, um, intellect, um, beauty, um, uh, money, um, it can it can enter exchange um in my in my moment you know um and just if i can just in which i can and and um like like judy her declaration is to be um mine is too is to more and more um accept the beggar within me See the shadow of all the idols that I'm reaching for and go inside and look at her, that shadow part of me, and be willing to welcome her. Uh, and then allow enough space for the light to shine in. And for me, Letting the light shine in looks like, you know, some form of meditation prayer. I mean, Jesus, he had to, he's like, oh, Father, do I have to go through with this? You know, being put on the, on the cross, it's a horrible uh, pain. And um, so he fasted and he prayed and uh, to go inwards. And so in all of for myself and I would say for every human being because we're all one, going within is whatever tool works, poetry, dancing, just sitting and doing nothing but just allowing for open space. We all have our way. So me releasing idols is being present, being willing to look at my emotions and my and the belief systems that are coming, rolling through me, sometimes a small little ripple, like an ocean or a huge tidal wave. But it's going to look like, okay, everybody out of the pool, let's just observe this. And, uh, and also observe the light that's in me. 
and let it let it restore me and guide me. The Holy Spirit, I'm complete. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you. So non-resistance is so key, at least for me, in releasing pain. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. Oh, I love that, Jennifer. You know, I've been saying it to myself for years, a tranquil mind is no small gift. And, you know, pebbles in the pond, getting those pebbles out of the pond and just being quiet and still is where it's at. Um, being here and being present with whatever is. But I love your expression, everybody get out of the pool. Because <laughs> sometimes it feels like that. It's not just a little pebble in a pond. It feels like a tidal wave. Thank you so much for making me laugh. Well, thank you all for all your participation. And uh, (laughs) I just had to stop and ask if there's different places (laughs) appear to potential things to, you know, contribute or perhaps close the call. Um... (laughs) And uh, you know, I I think one thing I can note is the the section in the manual how are healing and atonement related. Um, I believe it ends basically with the last judgment, and. I have it here. Oh, can't find it right now. Oh, here it is. It's similar, very similar to the reading today, so let me go ahead and read this. It says, Who can limit the power of God himself? Who then can say who can be healed of what and what must remain beyond God's power to forgive? This is insanity indeed. 
It is not up to God's teachers to set limits upon him because it is not up to them to judge his son. And to judge his son is to limit his father. Both are equally meaningless. Yet this will not be understood until God's teacher recognizes they are the same mistake. Herein does he receive atonement, for he withdraws his judgment from the Son of God, accepting him as God created him. No longer does he stand apart from God, determining where healing should be given and where it should be withheld. Now can he say with God, this is my beloved Son, created perfect and forever so. And uh, (laughs) I just have to read this little bit here. Um, From 60. In heaven would the Son of God but laugh if idols could intrude upon his peace. It is for him the Holy Spirit speaks and tells you idols have no purpose here. For more than heaven can you never have. If heaven is within, why would you seek for idols which would make of heaven less to give you more than God bestowed upon your brother and on you as one with him? God gave you, God gave you all there is. And to be sure you could not lose it, did he also give the same to every living thing as well? So, um, I think this is, there's in the last line here, you will never be content with being less. That in any feeling of lack or need of healing or whatever that is, pain, suffering, that he is, he's suggesting that we, I believe, that we use that as a reminder that we've already got it all. All are chosen. And that in feeling lack, dividing further will never produce the release that is simply accepting the atonement will provide. That the healing power is released in that section in the manual. It's pretty clear. The healing power is released through the healer accepting the atonement for himself. It remains our one task let ourselves be, be forgiven our errors and let our perception be corrected to align with this view that we God gave us all there is. <laughs> and I just I just love to laugh at this. And to be sure we couldn't lose it, he gave it to every living thing as well. So um thank you. Thank you all for being here, all who shared.
participated in whatever form. Um, I'll end the recording here, but we won't end the call. So, thank you all. <laughs>